I was going to say like October, but I'm sure the Blue Jays hope that they're, and fans hope they're playing through October. So I'll say I can't wait for November when we look back on these and find out how wrong we were about so many things. For most of them, this is brand new to play in front of this size of crowd on their own home field. Hey, what's going on? It's at the letters Arden Zwelling, Ben Nicholson Smith, our producer is Christian Ryan, and pleased to be joined this week by the host of Blue Jays Talk Plus, the co-host of Fan Drive Time on the Fan 590, Blake Murphy. And uh, Blake has been kind enough to take on the role of officiant, I suppose, (laughs) referee, overseer, uh, of recapping the 2022 at the letters over-unders, something I have not thought about in 10 months since we did them prior, I guess at the end uh, of spring training. And uh, as Ben knows, it is a annually uh, humbling exercise uh, in demonstrating uh, what just just how wrong we can be uh, about matters at which we are meant to be subject experts. Well, thanks for having me, guys. I'm excited to do this. And uh, yeah, actually, you guys did this. It, it came out April 19th. Um, so you actually did it like two weeks in the season. And spoiler for one of the last props, you had to change one of the lines because Jordan Romano had six saves in like the first week and a half of the season i like arden i do not know uh where these things landed i have tried my best to avert my eyes from the document where this was stored uh so very curious to see where this one lands yeah i have no idea i don't remember any of them so uh, i'm gonna kick it over to blake and and let's let's just find out how wrong we were the big one off the top was kind of a question that we have faced every year for the last couple of years. And we'll face it once again, heading into 2023, uh, George Springer having surgery to remove those bone spurs in his elbow this off season. The first prop last year was how many games George Springer would play in. You guys set that at 139.5. He was coming off a season in which he played 78 games. Uh, his last non-pandemic years were 122, 140, and 140. So a bit of a bet on a bounce back there. Do either of you remember what you picked for George Springer, 139.5 over under? I assume the under. I really hope I chose the under, <laughs> um, but <laughs> that, I do not That recall. line feels high, doesn't it? Yeah. It does. Um, and, you know, we have some, in talking about guys like a Brandon Nimmo, we, we have some recent... Uh, data from people like Eno Saris and Rob Arthur that your most recent season is maybe the best predictor of what's to come in terms of how many games you can stay on the field for. So coming off 78 games was not the the best of situations for Springer. Uh, He ended up playing 133. Both of you picked the under. So you both hit prop number one. He came pretty close. You guys both seemed pretty shocked that 139 and a half was the line, but he only missed it by six and a half games. 
Yeah, he actually did take the field a lot toward the end of the season. And I thought, like in August and September, there were times that I thought that he was just not going to be able to play. Like I was wondering about IL stints and he kind of ended up with obviously some assistance from the team training staff and a a shot at one point. But he ended up taking the field a lot. Um, So I guess credit to George Springer. The Nimmo stuff is super interesting. And I know this isn't a Jays news podcast, but, <laughs> you know, man, they I think they have to be so careful. If you're going to throw $130 million at a guy that's played 100 games twice, like that's a risky situation. Arden, one of the elements of Springer's uh, games total was that, you know, he started 84 in center field. He only started two in right field and then DH'd for, I think that leaves 37 or 47. Um, not It's not math season for me. What would your feeling on his games total moving forward look like if he is playing a little bit more of right field? If there is, say, a Nimmo or someone like that coming in to handle some of the center field duties? It is always math season for you, Blake. Come on. You run spreadsheets in your sleep. No, I got to talk about hockey now. It's just <laughs> grit and, uh, and you know, Toughness. Heart. Yeah. Pucks in deep. Yeah, I mean, if he just does this every year for the rest of his contract, which is probably even unrealistic, but if he did just do this, like, wow, that would be a really successful deal. Obviously, the the, the George Springer tenure didn't get off the greatest start in 2021 with the season that he had and all the time that he missed. But, I mean, if you're going to get 133 games and over four wins on the season per fan graphs, Blue Jays are signing up for that every year for as long as this contract goes. 4.2 wins above replacement for George Springer last year. So even in missing 29 games, a pretty good production line from him. Uh, it'll be interesting to see how that all shakes out in the outfield. Let's move on to prop number two. And it was kind of related to this one. It was how many games played does the Jays leader in games played play? And you set the over under at 159 and a half, which Maybe seems very high, but Bobachet and Vladimir Guerrero Jr. and Marcus Semyon in 2021, all Ironman, 159, 161, 162 games. So uh, a couple of guys in the mix here that rarely miss time. 159 and a half, though, is a, an obscenely high line. Arden, before we get into what you guys picked and, and what the outcome was here, can you remember offhand if anyone beat 159 and a half? Uh, I want to say probably Vlad did, right? He was in there pretty much every day. Bo, maybe too. Maybe Vlad and Bo. Did they both? This is how good Ben was at setting the over-under. Vlad played 160. Bo played 159. So, Ben, you you struck it perfectly there. Well, that is a very well-set over-under. It's pretty aggressive when you think about, like, if if we're doing this for 2023, like, you can't put it that high. You just can't. Uh, it's just too much to expect from these guys. So obviously, knowing that that's where it was said, knowing that Vlad played 160, I hope I took the over. But you know, that's a, that's a tough call because it's just so hard to ask any individual player to play even 150 games in a season. It's just it's just so much volume to take on. There have only been 15 players over the last two seasons to hit the over on this, and three of them were Blue Jays. Vlad twice and Marcus Semyon once, and then Bo Bichette had exactly 159 in both seasons. Um, you were both on the pessimistic side of this being possible. You both picked <laughs> the under. You both Basically, when I went back and listened to the podcast, the explanation was similar to what we saw with Bo. It's just too high a number to not expect, you know, the odd day off or, you know, you end up in a doubleheader or day game after night game, whatever. And it played out pretty close to how you guys lined it up with 
Vlad and Bo uh, splitting the line there. Ben, I think you just mentioned it there, but you're every we got to set the over under on this one lower for next year as these guys get a little older. And uh, I mean, just like I said, only 15 guys have played that many games over the last two years. Yeah, exactly. I think it's just it's so hard to expect that from from anyone. I think Vlad and Bo expect that of themselves. And, you know, I remember hearing from those guys in spring and, and asking them about their intentions. And they said they wanted to play 162 in every playoff game. And they actually came pretty close to that, which is remarkable uh, to, to play 160 for Vlad and 159 for Bo. And obviously they're out there in the playoffs too. So, you know, it it's a testament to the work that they did put in. But I think if you're the Jays at a certain point, like you got to play the long game. And uh, that means giving these guys the okay, like one day off a month. Like that's not too much to ask for, for Vlad and Bo. When you're pre-ARB and going through ARB now, as these guys are, there's quite a bit of incentive to be out there every day. <laughs> yeah. I'll tell you that. Counting stat sport, uh, <laughs> for sure. So let's pivot from a counting stat to a rate stat. The next prop you guys had was how many Blue Jays would hit 300 or better. And you guys set the minimum plate appearance at 300, so there wasn't room for uh, small sample noise. I'll tell you off the top, 14 players in baseball uh, hit 300 this year with that 300 plate appearance minimum. You guys had set the over-under at one and a half. So uh, no surprise that that's a big old zero. Uh, but Ben, you took the over in this one. Arden, you took the under. This is the first one where there's a split between the two of you. So Arden, you can put a, a one W in your column there. Uh, ben, three, two guys to hit 300. Uh, what went wrong there? <laughs> uh, I like the phrasing of the question. It's like I'm a pitcher who just gave up four home runs, you know, yeah. uh, what are you in doing? my start. Yeah, uh, I don't know. I I guess I uh, thought that Vlad and Bo and Lourdes and, I, you know, there was some reason to believe that this group uh, was going to be a high average group. And to be fair, the Blue Jays, as I'm looking at baseball reference here, they did lead the American League in batting average. So it's a team with a lot of good batting average hitters. But Major League Baseball we saw offense go down this year. Batting averages were low. Major League Baseball is now implementing shift rules to prevent uh, such low batting averages moving forward. Uh, so didn't see that coming. You know what? Credit to Arden. He saw this one coming a mile away and, and puts one in the wind column. Arden, your pessimism finally pays off. <laughs> yeah, like I could. Well, yeah, exactly. I, I could have gotten behind one, but I don't know about two in the lineup hitting over 300 like I could have gone behind like Alejandro Kirk in 345 plate appearances or something like that but I I don't know who the second would have been it's interesting to point out Ben that they led the league in batting average because they didn't have a 300 hitter what they did have though they had 10 players who qualified for this prop with 300 plate appearances or more they had 12 guys have at least 130 plate appearances of those 12 guys 10 hit 260 or better. So that's how you end up with the best team batting averages. You have, you know, Matt Chapman who hits 229, and I think everyone understands his value is a lot higher than that. And then Kevin Biggio just scraping in uh, at 202 there. Um, Arden, do you expect this prop to be a tougher one to peg down? Maybe not for the Jays specifically next year, but with the change to the shift rules, I would kind of think batting average nudges upward this year. Yeah, but I can't think of anyone on the Jays who's going to really benefit from that in a huge way. Like, Kevin Biggio should benefit from the shift restriction, but, you know, he would, you know, as you said, what would you have him at 220 or something like that? I mean, 202. He's not, 202. <laughs> he's not getting anywhere near 
300. So I can't imagine, you know, who on the Jays could like get from that sort of 260, 270, 280 range to close to 300 with the shift restriction because Biggio's the one guy who stands out to me is the, the guy who gets shifted a ton in this lineup. Ben, what about future Blue Jay Cody Bellinger? He gets shifted a bunch. Oh my goodness. Cody <laughs> Bellinger. Look, here's the thing with Bellinger. They have to be so certain that his shoulder is in a better state than it's been for the last two years. And without seeing the medicals, it's just like it's so hard to endorse a signing like that. It's like, I don't know if his shoulder's healthy, then yeah, if not, stay away. And and there's also the question, too. Keep in mind, he's a Scottsdale, Arizona guy. He's always trained in Arizona. Is he going to want to go across the country and, and play for a, the Canadian team that trains in Florida? I mean, I, I am just very much not fully in on the Cody Bellinger is happening. Train. I would also add that if Cody Bellinger happens that one year that he hit above 300, I uh, don't think that's repeating shoulder <laughs> or otherwise. That was a, a pretty outlier batting average season. All right. This is, I found this to be no, no offense, Ben uh, placed weirdly in the list of props. Cause we're going to go from all this narrow specific stuff to the big one. ALDS games played. 0.5 was the over-under. You both picked the over, uh, laying out that... I think one of you picked the Jays to win the division, and one of you said, well, they'll win the wild card and get through. Neither of those things happened. The Toronto Blue Jays played zero games in the American League Divisional Series. Uh, Arden, we just said on the last one that your pessimism paid off. Does this one drive you even further to pessimism in the prop game next year? <laughs> I don't know if I can go any further. Then I already have gone towards that that lean. Uh, yeah, it's, I mean, that's weird that we had it this high up in the pecking order. Did we explain why? No. No. So, yeah, I, I can't I can't explain that either. But, yeah, it's, that's playoff baseball. Anything, anything can happen. Just to pick up on the Bellinger thing, by the way, here's what I think Cody Bellinger needs to do going into next year. He needs to sign with a non-contender. Like, he needs to sign with a bad team, one-year deal, get his money for this year, get his playing time for this year so he can try to reestablish his value and then hope to get traded at the deadline from that bad team to a contender, which would then make him ineligible to receive the qualifying offer. I think that's the play for Bellinger. I like that. I, I think, you know, there are there's a tier of team that's not quite a bad team that could maybe take a flyer on him. Like, I think of a team like the Marlins where it's like, well, maybe we're going to contend this year or not contend this Texas. year, but like fringe playoff contend Texas. I mean, they throw money at everyone. Uh, sure. That'd yeah. be a good spot for him to recoup the home run value at least. And look, like I'm not opposed to, you know, Brandon Nimmo at the right price. Uh, to me, that right price is probably more like 92 than 132. But um, Bellinger, one-year deal, not opposed to that. I just, I think that sometimes people get maybe a little bit down that path um, in a way that doesn't actually reflect where their value is within this entire market. Bellinger hit 47 home runs a couple years ago. That's the draw. You know who didn't hit 47 home runs and landed at the under 49.5 home runs you guys said? Vladimir Guerrero Jr. coming in <laughs> with 32 home runs. Crushed to left field and into the second deck. A rocket for Vladdy. His 31st home run on the season. That was a team high, uh, but he misses the over-under by 17 and a half. Uh, not particularly close. You guys both took the under on this one. This was the only one of all of the over-unders you set, Ben, where I was like, oh, that, that is egregious, 49 and a half. 
Yeah, you know what? No excuses. It wasn't a good over under. Um, he had and, hit forty eight the year before in your defense. <laughs> yeah, he look. He had a good year. Vladdy had a good season. Uh, he didn't have a great season by any stretch. And again, the offensive environment plays some sort of a factor here. But I think even considering that, this was way too aggressive. Clearly, you can't project any player. Like even next year with Aaron Judge, let's say he comes back to the Yankees. You're not going to project Aaron Judge for 50 home runs. You might say 38 or 41, even though Aaron Judge is the best power header in, in baseball. And maybe we thought Vladdy was going to be that going into this season, but it, you know that's too high. Arden, I'm going to throw one at you. This isn't you. You guys have like six months to prepare your uh, over unders for next year now. But I'm just I have Lad's Fangraphs page open, and Steamer has him projected for 40 home runs next year. Um, Steamer not quite as analytical a, a tool as as zips but we don't have the zips projections yet uh what would you take on 40 for next year i might take the over honestly i might be kind of optimistic on fly for next year um i don't have it in front of me but i would imagine there's nothing in like the exit velos or the barrel rates that's particularly concerning i think he just hit a lot of balls into the ground this year it's hard to hit home runs on balls that you hit into the ground so i think if you can make a little tweak and up that launch angle back to where it was and in uh 2021 yeah i could see him getting over 40 can't hit home runs on ground balls but him and john carlos stanton tried their best this year just like one upping each other for (laughs) lowest launch angle on home runs um all right so I'm going to go just a little out of order here from what you guys had because I want to stay Vlad adjacent. So uh, you guys had a Vlad and Bo one, but I'll do the Bo one first and we'll come back to uh, Gosman, who you guys had a prop on. So uh, the next one was over under on Bo Bichette's wins above replacement. Uh, you set the line at five. You could have used fan graphs or baseball reference or averaged them out. No matter which one you used, uh, Bo came up under that he he was 4.5 wins by fan graphs uh baseball reference a little less optimistic on or a little less rosy on it um so not far off but Arden once again one where the the pessimistic lean pays off you had an under here Ben had the over um I mean Bo was pretty close what does he need to do in your estimation next year to nudge that back up to being a five win player I mean consistency mm-hmm. just be the the September guy all year. I know that's you know easier said than done. It's funny. You're I was, like an eight-win player then. Yeah. Oh, it'll be unbelievable. Um, he's Trey Turner, right? At that point. I mean, I was looking back at it recently because as Ben knows, we're doing our uh, BBWAA awards voting right now on just like best, you know, Blue Jays position player, best pitcher, most improved, etc. And I was kind of going back like I didn't realize it at the time because it's September and there's so much going on and you're just really busy and you're not really taking that like bird's eye view of everything. But it was like Bo got back to being himself essentially with that hot streak at the end of the year like he really pulled up his numbers in a dramatic way to get up to four and a half wins like think about the conversations we were having about Bo Bichette in July and well into August uh it's remarkable what he was able to do with that hot streak at the end of the year and ended up leading the team in fan war if I'm not mistaken so pretty impressive what he was able to do at the end of the year Ben he doesn't miss the five war by much one of the parts of wins above replacement that's a little hard to project is the defensive component because you know it's a bit of a black box of what goes into that and it's fairly random year to year if we look at Bo's 
basic fielding statistics, though, it's remarkable how similar it was to the year before. Um, Putouts, assists, and errors all basically exactly the same. Early in the year, it looked like metric-wise, maybe he had improved a little bit. Uh, by the end of the year, it looked like maybe not, and, and maybe he was the beneficiary of uh, some of the shifting the Jays did. What did you make of the defensive component of Bo's, if not his wins above replacement, of his season? Well, I think that he was fine. I think he's a majorly shortstop. I don't think that the Blue Jays need to worry about that position defensively. Um, there's room for him to improve for sure. I think there are some little things with, with arm angle and consistency that they'll certainly want him to work on. And there's no doubt that he will put that work in. Um, you know, I don't, I'm not expecting him to become a gold glove shortstop, but as long as he can handle the position, that's fine. And then that probably does put him in a good position when you're handling one of the toughest defensive positions at an average level for a full season, then that does set him up to be a five-win player, maybe even more going forward. So I think this is probably a pretty reasonable place for the over-under to have sat, especially given where his 2021 season went and how good he was, um, but ended up coming a bit short for Bo. So there's a bit of Bo optimism from you, Ben, uh, a little bit of, not pessimism, but just you know, more restrained from Arden. You guys both took the under on flat home runs. You guys had a prop that paired those two together, and it was how many other duos in baseball combined for more wins above replacement than Vlad and Bo. Initially, wow. you'd set this at one and a <laughs> half. Uh, you guys discussed it and bumped it up to two and a half. I did not bother to go and count the <laughs> exact number. Uh, several teams had three players with more wins above replacement than either Bo or Vlad. Uh, if you use fan graphs, they combined to be worth 7.3 wins, uh, 7.5 wins by baseball reference. So oh. we don't need to go too deep on this one. It was just... This one was just not particularly close. You both took the over, so you're both correct here. I don't know about this whole prop. I think maybe this is uh, <laughs> this one's just a move on, given how how far off that oh, uh, that whole idea was. Take Aaron Judge and the worst player on the Yankees, and they would, you'd still be better than Thunbo. Pick any two St. Louis Cardinals, <laughs> just <laughs> like. <laughs> Yeah, it's uh, yeah. not a great one. So let's move on from that. <laughs> let's move on from that quickly. So to to recap right now, we're, we are um, six in, and you guys have agreed on four. Arden has the two W's on the ones that you've uh, haven't agreed on. Yeah, I think that's. I think that lead is going to expand, but we'll see where this goes. I mean, it's not all that surprising if you just were like, okay. Arden and Ben, like the the Jays underperformed expectations a little bit. Who do you think was more accurate in that lens? And not that Arden's like, I, I'm overstating the degree to which you're pessimistic, but I do think like personality-wise that, that makes sense uh, for an outcome. Let, let's turn it to a positive one though. So uh, another prop that you guys had here was who has more this and, and like it was set up as an over-under, but for all intents and purposes, it was who has more wins above replacement, Kevin Gosman or Robbie Ray. You both picked Kevin Gosman. Whether you use fan graphs or baseball reference, Kevin Gosman, a better season than Robbie Ray. Uh, Arden, how would you feel about that one moving forward? 
Well, Fangraphs for sure, it would be mm-hmm. Kevin Gosman, right? That's the the Phipps war. I mean, I mean, Kevin Gosman probably led all pitchers, and or maybe that's a little strong, but it would have been up there on Fangraphs war for sure, way more than Baseball Reference. I mean, I feel really good about Kevin Gosman going forward. What did he do this year? He struck out a ton of dudes. He didn't walk a bunch of dudes, and he didn't really give up home runs until later in the season. I mean, he got babbipped to death. He was one of the unluckiest pitchers in baseball and your mileage Ever. is going to vary. Yeah. I, I, oh yeah. I remember going over some of that stuff with you on chase talk plus yeah. this year. Yeah. But some of the like insane lack of precedence for um, what Cosman, like the results he had on balls and play this year. And like, like I was going to say, like everybody's mileage is going to vary on sort of what that means and how much of that is deserved and how much of that's the shifts behind him and the ways that he pitches and the strategies against him and et cetera. But I mean, if if I'm signing up for four more years of Robbie Ray at what he's earning or four more years of Kevin Gosman at what he's earning, I'm taking Gosman all day. Yeah, Gosman uh, second among American League pitchers in Fangraph's version of war. Justin Verlander, the only guy coming in uh, ahead of him. And for anyone who is unaware, um, basically the difference there is on the hitter side, Fangraphs and baseball reference tend to be a little more similar on the pitcher side. Fangraphs is more what should have happened. What did you deserve to have had happen? And baseball reference is straight up what happened. Um, and okay, well, let's go with this then. Uh, ben, to put you on the spot, um, with the easiest over under of all time, Kevin Gosman's BABIP next year at 363. <laughs> <laughs> oh boy. Yeah, that's a clear under. That's a clear under. I mean, it's it's kind of remarkable though, because despite that bad luck, you know, he still had a great season, 335 ERA. I think his contract, which, you know, now he's one year into that five year hundred and ten million dollar deal, like it's a bargain at this point. The Jays should be thrilled to have another four years of Gosman on that deal, uh, making twenty-two per. He would get way more than that if he was a free agent right now. So they should be really happy with the, how this deal has started and and what is to come in the next four seasons. I will say the last guy to pitch that many innings and have a Babip that high uh, that was Red Errett uh, back in the eighteen ninety-five season. His corrected to two eighty-nine the next year. So. There you go. The even in the 1800s, uh, regression to the mean existed when it comes to uh, BABIP. Uh, let's let's do one more here uh, to kind of get us to the halfway mark and see who's well. Arden's up two nothing right now, so he'll of course be ahead at the halfway mark. But um, number nine was a Matt Chapman one. It was one of the more hot button topics in the second half of the season. Uh, we all yelled at Mike Petriello about it at times. Ross Stripling <laughs> tweeting out that he's fond of analytics unless they say that Matt Chapman isn't an elite third baseman. You guys had set the over-under on Matt Chapman defensive run saved at 18 and a half. He came in at two. A very Ooh, weird whoa. year for Chapman's defense where the metrics did not like him nearly as much as the eye test. Uh, some stuff there to suggest it was mostly on the throwing side of things. Um, I got to imagine may, maybe 18 and a half was... Uh, a little high, but Arden, absolutely no concern about Matt Chapman's defense. Big picture, right? It's it's one of the bigger sort of gulfs between eye test and what the numbers say for me. And we all watch Matt Chapman every day, and it's like he is exemplary as a defender. It's unbelievable some of the things that he does. The root, like the routine plays that he makes that aren't routine for mere mortals, but for Matt Chapman. 
they just are like his just understanding of how to play various balls his instincts his reactions his footwork um the way that he sort of manipulates his body in time and space i mean everything about it is just exquisite and a pleasure to watch honestly and i don't feel like i'm like going too far in my superlatives here he really is just a fantastic defensive third baseman so i uh, yeah, I'll, I'll leave it to people smarter than me to decide why the publicly available defensive metrics don't rate him very highly uh but that does sort of line up with some of the things that you hear when you talk to people in the game about like public defensive metrics where you're like yeah i mean they're the best we have but they're not as reliable as some of the offensive and, and pitching metrics that we have i'll tell you this if the Jays get Dalton Varsho, I very much believe in defensive metrics. If they don't, I don't care about them. Well, it's funny, right, with the metrics, because like I, I agree with what Arden said, and I don't think that there's really hyperbole there. I think that that's all just very fair um, when it comes to one of the best defensive players that we've seen in Toronto in really in recent years. Um, he, he was great, but it's funny with the analytics stuff, and I, I'm not saying that Stripling or anyone else was saying otherwise, but sometimes it's like, you know, I can't believe that the analytics got this wrong. Like, I can't believe that this one hyper-specific example didn't work. And it's like, we would never expect that the analytics would would describe everything perfectly. There are always going to be some blind spots. And so this is one of those blind spots. The analytics are wrong. Matt Chapman is an awesome third baseman. And the analytics still tell us, like, all kinds of useful things about all kinds of other players, many of whom we don't watch every day. So, yeah, I mean, Chapman was amazing but clearly under the DRS for this over-under. Yeah, I would expect a, a real bounce back there, whether it's DRS or outs above average, or whatever we want to use there. Um, and, you know, like if you look at the other third baseman, like Cabrian Hayes, Nolan Arenado, Manny Machado being at the top, that makes sense to me. Like, I don't think it's that far off in general. And then it's just got a weird Matt Chapman uh season in there um which is you know maybe has something to do with this is something we run into bat in basketball all the time trying to evaluate defenses we don't know entirely what a guy was supposed to do on defense all the time and maybe this is a case where we can't really quite account for you know oh well Bo's playing this way and they're shading this way so Matt Chapman is thinking this or doing this uh there could be some noise there all right so we're at the halfway mark you guys have both been correct on five of these. You're both incorrect on two of them. And then Arden up to nothing uh, on the ones that you guys disagreed on. To give a little spoiler, there are three more of the last nine that you guys disagreed on. So, Ben, there's still an opportunity for you to make a comeback in the second half. <laughs> there's still a slight amount of hope. Now, okay, so I might have missed this, but did did we both take the under on Chapman? You did. Uh, sorry. Okay. It was just, and, and the logic was he's very, very good, but 18 and a half for a counting stat, you guys just determined was a little too high. Yes. But he's, he'd hit that before. He'd, he'd gotten there several times in the past. Okay. Well, that makes sense, I guess. So do I need to beat Arden? Yeah. I need to beat Arden on every one of the ones that we disagree on. Yeah. yeah you got to sweep a ton the of second half. Yeah. Well, it's kind of we'll wild that, that he's gotten there before. Like, that's just got to be environment, right? Like how he rates in Oakland versus. Toronto? Yeah, I mean, I think one element is probably, and I'm sure we try to control for this, but how do you control for the fact that Oakland has way, way, way more foul ground than anywhere else? Like, Matt Chapman's ability to run down foul balls was probably a big component of his DRS um, in Oakland. But yeah, he had a 28 
defensive run save season in 2019. Like wow. it's ludicrous how good this guy has been defensively at times. That was a year, by the way, that he was worth 5.7 wins above replacement. Um, his back got almost back to that level this year, just off his WRC plus by eight points. He was worth 4.1 wins above replacement. This is another guy that if the defensive metrics come around and those second half batting improvements were real, uh, another guy who could be in that five war prop discussion next year, I think, Ben. Scott Boris hopes so. Watch out, just one year away. I mean, Matt Chapman, Lourdes Gurriel Jr., this is a big year for this team, right? Before those guys hit free agency. Obviously, Teoscar's been traded. And, you know, it's uh, the, the Jays. Every one of these seasons is is extremely important. But 2023 might be the only year they have with Chapman. All right, uh, that's the halfway mark. Do you guys want to take a, a quick breather before we get in the second half and Ben tries this comeback? Let's do it. Listen to At The Letters ad-free on Amazon Music, included with Prime. So, Canada's back in the World Cup. And whether you're a footy fanatic or tuning into soccer for the first time, we have the perfect series to accompany our nation's return to the world stage. Oh, go on, man. I'm Henry Standage, and in our new series, Painting the Pitch Red, I'll take you through the thrilling highs and heartbreaking lows of Canada's men's national team. This is the moment the country has waited for! Joining me will be some of the most respected Canadian soccer voices. FIFA the franchise. That video game changed everything here. Just an absolute corrupt CONCACAF. It was like this club you didn't know until you got in it. You know, now when you say you're from Canada, people are asking me about Alfonso Davies. Subscribe to Painting the Pitch Red by Sportsnet to hear Canada's soccer story in full color for the first time. New chapters drop every Canada match day at Qatar 2022. All right, so it's comeback season. Arden Zwelling ahead 2 nothing through nine preseason props from the At The Letters uh, pre-2022 over-under podcast. I'm Blake Murphy uh, hanging in here to navigate this with Ben and Arden. Um, again, they agreed on five that they got correct. They agreed on two they got incorrect. And Arden has taken the two props that they disagreed on. Those being uh, Arden took the under on one and a half Jays batting one, uh, batting 300, not 100. That would be extremely negative. Um, and Arden <laughs> took the under on Bo Bichette's wins above replacement. Uh, came in at four and a half. The over under had been set at five. So this is a uh, uh, fun chunk of them there because we're going to get deep into some of the younger players uh, who have question marks that, you know, it's nice to reflect on for 2022, but also some interesting 2023 uh, talking points here. So, the first one out of the break. Santiago Espinal to have an OPS plus of over or under 112.5. Now, if that seems a little bit high, cool. it was wow. 113 the year prior. And a lot of the discussion you guys had around this, you both took the under, but you both took the under because you were in agreement that he was just going to play too much, which so it was almost a a negative compliment where it's like, yeah, he'll play too much to not regress a little bit at the plate. He came in with a 99 OPS plus for the season, almost 500 plate appearances. Um, ben, where does that put Santiago Espinal moving forward for you? A league average bat over almost 500 plate appearances and some pretty good defense at second base. 
and an all-star season. I, I doubt we yeah. would have predicted that at the time. Um, to me, he's got to be in that mix. Uh, my understanding is that him and Whit Merrifield and Vigio are all kind of competing for time there. Uh, obviously, the Jays have Merrifield and Vigio now in their outfield mix, but we're expecting that to change. Um, so I think it's going to be pretty wide open the way Merrifield finished the season. He's going to be someone who gets chances to play second base for the Jays. Espinal was really good, obviously showed that you don't have to worry about him being in the lineup as your eight or nine hitter. That's totally fine. But he didn't play well enough to have a locked in spot on a team with aspirations of winning the AL East. Yeah, 807 OPS up to June 7th. So that's kind of how you end up in the All-Star game with a with a final slash line that doesn't look incredibly impressive. That 807 first half OPS giving way to a 609 OPS in the second half. Um, Arden, was there something that pitchers figured out with Espinal that you know were the cause of a, a basically a 200-point in-season swing in his OPS? I haven't, like dove into that but i would imagine there is something and i would imagine it's probably something to do with down and away because that's typically what it is for a lot of hitters like him um i wonder about the the rigors of a full season with him as well i mean it was definitely his first time playing that many games at the big league level and i don't know what he topped out at you know in in the minors but it's it's tougher than people um think to sustain what he was doing over a full season when you haven't done it before. So I think if anything, like the experiences of 22, the hot start, the power that he showed, the success that he had early on, and then the struggles he went through over the back half will be a benefit for him going forward and something that he can grow from. Obviously best suited to a part-time role, but, uh, you know, look, a, a bit of a developmental success story as well for the Blue Jays. Getting, uh, like you guys said, a league average MLB regular, an all-star for whatever, for however much weight you want to put into that, uh, out of somebody who was like, uh, you know, a, a sort of an org guy prospect when the Blue Jays acquired him for Steve Pierce. Yeah, hey, look, you get an all-star for a World Series MVP. Sounds fair to me, right? And yeah, Espinal hadn't played, uh, you know, he topped out at 124 games across levels uh, back in 2018. So be interesting to see how that works this year. And like Ben said, it's a, it's a competition. I could also see a scenario where, you know, let's say the Jays do bring in a, a couple of lefty bats to balance out the, the back part of the lineup. Maybe there's some sort of, multi-position platoon where Merrifield and Espinal are seeing more time against lefties. Um, There's a little more flexibility there against righties because he did have pretty significant uh, platoon splits, almost a, uh, yeah, pretty big split in his OPS, uh, 826 to 646 uh, against lefties versus against righties. Okay, let's keep it with young guys who are a part of the future. Santiago Espinal may be less expected. This next guy... Everyone knows he's part of the future. The question was, how soon would he be part of the present? Gabriel Moreno, you guys set the over-under at 29 and a half games in the major leagues. Ben, you got a W. You had the under. Moreno played in 25 games, so just under. Arden was a little more certain that Moreno would come up and play a role and basically not go back down, which it looked like for the first little bit. Uh, He ends up playing, probably staying on the roster longer than anyone would have expected, but he basically didn't play in September while taking up a roster spot. Ben, congratulations. The comeback is on. Here we go. One down, (laughs) two to go. Uh, let's, Let's see where this run 
takes us here. No, that's that's good to see. Um, not so good for Moreno. Um, here's one for you guys. Will he play over under 0.5 games for the 2023 Blue Jays? I would take the over. I don't I don't know. I, I would be a little surprised if he's the the outbound catcher. Part of that is like I look at the teams who could potentially deal you a surplus outfielder or a surplus starter. And those are teams that are more in the win now category than the give us prospects category. Although I think a lot of teams could convince themselves that Gabriel Moreno, who, by the way, hit 319 over those 25 games, uh, could help them now as well. Arden, you feel similarly? Yeah, I think I think Gabriel Moreno will be on the Blue Jays next year. I just don't think the Blue Jays are going to force the issue with moving a catcher. Like it's you know, something we've all talked about and it's an obvious area of surplus. But if the right deal isn't there, I don't think the Blue Jays are going out motivated to move a catcher. I think they'll move a catcher if it makes sense and if it makes them better. So I think there's a pretty good chance that Jansen, Moreno and Kirk are all returning for 2023. Well, here's a different one for you then, Arden. Uh, sorry, Ben. Um, over under 0.5 games started at positions that aren't catcher or DH for Gabriel Moreno next year. Oh, over for sure. Yeah, I think you, okay. you could see him starting at a, an infield spot or in a corner outfield and on a day where you got injuries, or guys are on the IL, or it's a doubleheader or whatever, right? Like we saw in that crazy doubleheader in the last game of the season, <laughs> he played like a bunch of innings at like five different spots. Uh, yeah, he was like, he was the star that day. Him and Otto Lopez had like the days of their lives uh, at, at Camden Yards. So yeah, I think that versatility is part of what will make him valuable to the Blue Jays in 23. Or to his new team. I, I think even if he's traded, he'll play different positions. So I would take the over on that one. I think, here's the thing. I agree with Arden that they don't have to make a trade. If I had to guess, I think they will trade a catcher because they can address a real need that way. And as they've now traded to Oscar Hernandez, and this could change if they sign someone in the next week, but it, it becomes a little bit harder now to then trade also Kirk and or also Jansen because then you're really hurting your lineup, which was obviously a strength. So that's where I start to wonder if, at least as things sit presently, is it a little easier to consider parting with someone like Moreno? We will have to see. I don't know. I think it's going to be a talking point until it's not, which means it could be a talking point until next year's deadline or uh, into 2024. Um, okay, another similar prop that you guys had. Another hot prospect. How many games would he play? Aurelvis Martinez over under 0.5 games. You both picked the over. That was incorrect. Really? He played zero major league games. He played 118 games at double A, set the New Hampshire Fisher Cats record with 30 home runs, but hit 203, had a 286 OBP, had nearly a 30% strikeout rate. Arden, you were fairly confident when I went back and listened to that podcast that he was a guy who could make big strides this year. Where are you at on Aurelvis Martinez after a very productive power hitting year that showed some maybe concerning elements when it comes to managing the plate? Yeah, that's that's a lesson learned for me, I guess, and probably one I should have learned many, many times before. Just uh, believe in some of the spring training hype, I guess, right? Because Martinez in a lot of ways was the story of spring for the Blue Jays with like the incredible camp that he had and really like looked like he fit the part against some pretty good pitching 
in spring and, and really held his own. And then, as you said, went to double A and you kind of talked to people about the swing decisions and the approach at the plate and they don't have great things to say. Obviously, unbelievable power. And when he makes contact, the ball comes off of his bat at a very high rate of speed and goes very far. But for him to continue being successful against advanced pitching as he moves up levels, he's just going to have to chase less and he's going to have to have a better approach and he's going to have to be better disciplined so you know if this and the last one the moreno one are, are less than anything it's just kind of it's the classic like prospect tale right like remember when moreno was tearing it up in the first half of the season and it was like every show and every minute was call up moreno when are they going to call him up what are they doing with them what the hell is going on and then he does get called up and it's wall-to-wall coverage and you know splashing headline news and this like the whole just all the hullabaloo around it and then Moreno ends up having the year that he did, right? And ends up actually like after, you know, he's pretty good when when he first got up, but then started to get exposed a little bit and ended up being sent back down. Um, same thing with Martinez, right? Like splashy headlines in spring and then ended up having the year that he did. It's volatile prospects. The stocks can shoot up and, and they can plummet. So it's, you know, those two guys showed that this year for sure. One variable in this is who's on the 40-man roster and who's not. Arelvis Martinez was not on the 40-man roster. Now he is. So it would have required someone else being bumped off. It just adds that extra layer. So if someone's already on the 40-man roster, then their path to the major leagues is that much quicker. What is his path to the major leagues uh, look like right now in your estimation, Ben? Obviously, you're, you're talking about a scenario where you need you know, an emergency call-up type. He has continued to play... Uh, split time between shortstop and third base at double A. Him and Addison Barger kind of bounced those positions uh, back and forth when they were on the same roster there. What does Aralvis Martinez get in the major leagues look like now? Well, you know, now he is on the 40-man roster, but I still think the strikeouts are such a big question. Like, if you're the Jays and, let's say, Bobachette needs a week or two weeks on the injured list, I think you still put Espinal at short and you figure out second base with Merrifield and Biggio and you call up a pitcher. Like, I just don't think that you're going to call up a guy in Martinez's position to play off the bench. And I don't know that you're that confident in having him start every day at this point. So he would, in my estimation, need to show some real strides developmentally before he's necessarily on that radar. I don't know how you do the swing decision stuff in the offseason. Maybe there's some virtual reality kind of kind of stuff. But yeah, hopefully that takes a, a step forward. So you both had the over there. You're both wrong. Another one. You're both wrong on. This is a funny one. You guys went outside the Blue Jays and had Randall Grichuk's home runs set at 27 <laughs> oh. and a half. You both took the over. He finished the year with 19. Uh, he had an 88 WRC plus, uh, 259 average, 299 OBP and then those 19 home runs. Uh, the Jays, you know, not the obvious winner because Rymel Tapia was about the same level of player and has now been non-tendered. And the Jays are still on the hook for 4.3 million of Randall Grichik's deal. Uh, Arden Grichik didn't quite stick it to the Blue Jays in cores the way we anticipated, though. Yeah, I really thought that that would just be a launching pad for him. And uh, I really didn't watch too much Colorado Rockies baseball this year, so I'm not really <laughs> sure what was going on with old friend Randall Grichik. But uh, I do know because I just recently like looked it up in a text conversation I was having with Ben and Shy that Ryan Tapia had a better year 
than Randall Gritchick did, even though the Blue Jays chose to to move on there. Blue Jays now out from the money that they or some of the money that they would have owed Gritchick next season. And they got a pretty good prospect in it, Adrian Pinto. So the Blue Jays get a pretty good prospect out of it as well in Adrian Pinto. So safe to say, Blue Jays won that trade. Yeah, Adrian Pinto, a 119 WRC plus this year as a 19-year-old at A. Uh, only 47 games, not a full thing, but interesting uh, prospect to keep an eye on. This will pivot now to something that sets up probably one of the biggest questions of the offseason again. And what you guys had asked in this spot was over under 0.5 Toronto Blue Jays who would sign extensions valued at $20 million annually or higher. So basically... Would Vladerbo sign an extension? Maybe it could have been someone like a Teoscar or a very early deal for Manoa, but this was mostly a Vladerbo extension. You both took the under saying, no, this front office and, and these individuals probably don't work on a deal during the season. Arden, we're in kind of a weird spot, I think, at least with Vlad, where now you're trying to negotiate this coming off of a lesser season. Would you take the over 0.5 on extensions for those guys for this offseason probably not honestly just the the closer you get to free agency for for those individuals the harder it gets to find that sweet spot where you're sharing risk and where it makes sense for both sides like if i'm vlad right now i'm looking at like probably 14 to 15 million dollars in arbitration and i'm looking at coming back and hitting a bunch of homers and having you know even if i have the same year that i had last year continuing on in arbitration to make a whole bunch of money and if i have a better year like holy smokes i'm gonna do a lot better in arb next year so it's it's gonna be hard to to sign either of those guys i think away from going year to year at this point ben what about you any different feeling on that i guess bo kind of got back to where he had started but how does that shift things for you if you're in the atkins and shapiro seat seeing you know because i could see it two ways right they didn't have quite the same ceiling that they had the year prior, but they really did establish that even floor seasons for them, like what felt at times like disappointing seasons. I said it earlier, they combined for like seven and a half wins above replacement. For Vladdy, I do think that it's just going to be tough. I think that for him, realistically, you know, certainly I'm under the impression that there's nothing brewing on that front now, not that you would expect there to be. Um, If something starts percolating, that would probably happen after the new year, once you start really getting down to those arbitration numbers, my impression has always been that Vlad and Bo are at least open to having those conversations. Um, but the number would have to be so big. And if you're Bo, you probably want to see what Swanson and Turner and Correa get, how that might impact his uh, situation in three years' time when he hits the open market. And if you're Vladdy, like there just doesn't have to be a rush because... If he does hit free agency, he's going to be 25, 26 years old. He's going to be in such a good spot that really for the Jays to open this conversation in any kind of meaningful way, it would have to be just a huge number. Ben, do you read the situation differently at all for an Alec Manoa who's not even in his uh, arb years yet very, very early on? Maybe he could lock up some security at a position where, you know, attrition rate is at least a little bit higher. If you're the Jays, you should explore it. You should be willing to make him a really strong offer. At the same time, I mean, Manoa told Arden and me this story in spring about how teams were coming to him in high school and trying to get him to sign and offering him big money, but he turned it down. So he's not afraid to turn down big money and to bet on himself. And so I would not be at all surprised if Manoa is a tough one to lock up as well. 
Yeah, well, this is the issue with having very good young players. You eventually got to pay them. Uh, you got a little bit of runway here where you don't. Um, Vlad projected to make 14 or 15 if it goes to arbitration. Bobachek coming in around $6 million. And Alec Manoa not close to arbitration yet. So from one type of deal to another, the next prop that you guys had was trade deadline deals. And you were very specific that it had to happen on the trade deadline day, um, not that kind of lead up to the trade deadline. You set the over under at one and a half. The actual number came in at four. You both took the over, so you both get the win here. As a reminder, the Jays acquired Whit Merrifield for Samad Taylor and Max Castillo. They acquired Anthony Bass and Zach Pop for Jordan Groshans. They acquired Mitch White and Alex DeJesus for Nick Frasso and Moises Brito. And the forgotten one, they sold Jeremy Beasley to the Pirates uh, to, to make it four. Luckily, that didn't come up. Like, if it, if this over-under was set at three and a half, say, and selling Jeremy Beasley t- uh, to the Pirates snuck it over the line, I, I think we could have, like, a fundamental debate about whether that counts as a trade or uh, a sale. Uh, but you guys get it here. Uh, Arden, looking back at the trade deadline, obviously four moves is a lot. But the discussion at the time was kind of, well, they didn't do quite enough do you feel that way in retrospect here yeah i think they were you know a david robertson away from having a, a really good trade deadline or a joe jimenez away from having a really good trade deadline i think at the time ben and i were both saying yeah you'd need one more sort of swing and miss leverage reliever this deadline's probably something like uh like a b and i think that they, we would probably still feel that way i mean you look back on the deals as you kind of read them out there i think the only guy you might really regret giving up is Nick Frasso just because he looks like he could be like a turnkey back end bullpen arm maybe even as soon as next season depending on what you know his future is as as a starter um we'll see what Jordan Groshans becomes I mean I still believe in him just because I I think that you know he's he's missed a lot of time due to injury and other things that were out of his control like a pandemic uh throughout his development so I think he's just kind of behind a little bit and I think that once he starts catching up maybe some of the power starts catching up as well from a pretty big body dude but yeah I think the Blue Jays did good work at the deadline but but not enough work Ben, when you look at what those additions, what role they could have beyond just 2022, because we you know, tend to frame deadline deals sometimes as um, rentals or, or just patching over a hole. Um, Anthony Bass had a team option the team picked up, so another uh, arm in the bullpen there at just $3 million. Mitch White around as a potential starting option or a uh, relief option. Believe he's out of options, so he'll have to be on the Major League roster. And then uh, Whit Merrifield hanging around at the... Uh, I think I believe the Jays are on the hook for 2.75 of his deal. What do you make of, you know, the deadline? We we know how it played out. The Jays lost in two in the wild card series. Um, But in terms of those moves helping the 2023 roster, do you see any of those guys having a big role the year ahead? I I do think so. I think the Bass pickup was great. I think that was clearly their best move. I liked it at the time and ended up working out nicely for the Jays since then. Um, so I think that was a great trade. I agree with Arden, like looking back at it, it still feels like they were an arm short. And that's something we were saying at the time, you know, maybe that extra trade would have cost you, I don't know, it might've been an Arelvis Martinez potentially to get that done. But then 
that actually might be better to make that trade and give that up as opposed to having him lurking in the minors with, you know, a 30 some odd percent strikeout rate. So I, I think moving forward to answer your question, Blake, Mitch White for Frasso, I mean, that trade looks pretty underwhelming to me. We'll see what what Mitch White can offer the Blue Jays. I, you know, he didn't particularly impress, but there's, you know, more time for him to kind of uh, restore some um, value for the Jays and make that trade look a little bit better. De Jesus is an interesting part of that trade as well, um, in part because he's Rule 5 eligible, um, despite being not, not even 21 just yet. He had very weird numbers across three stops and four stops in the minors this year where he strikes out a lot, but he also walks a ton. So maybe that you can shape some plate discipline around that a uh, bit of an unknown at this point. I don't think anyone's nabbing a 20 year old uh, middle infielder in the rule five draft that they have to keep on their roster. Um, okay. So that was the trade deadline. If we fast forward a month and a half from the trade deadline, Aaron judge comes into town. He's sitting on 59 home runs. He'd hit one home run in Rogers Center already earlier in the year. Your next prop was over under Aaron Judge home runs at the Rogers Center. And you set it at one and a half. At that point, we didn't know still, you know, was Aaron Judge going to be one of the players that was or was not allowed to travel to Toronto? Turned out he was. May 3rd, he hits a bomb. Uh, it sets up so... September 26, 27, 28th, he's not only going for um, the Yankees and American League home run record, looking to tie it at 61, he's also looking to hit the over for Ben Nicholson-Smith because Arden took the under here, Ben took the over. Aaron Judge ties this up at two with, you know, everyone will talk about, yeah, the 61st, the 62nd home run, whatever. (laughs) Uh, The home run that ties up this prop bet, Ben. Aaron Judge pulling you from the brink here. The 3-2, swinging a long fly ball. Deep left field, back and gone. Number 61 for Aaron Judge. He matches Maris, the ultimate Bronx bomber. All rise, folks. It is a tie game. Aaron Judge coming through. That is that's amazing. Um, yeah, really glad that I took that over. Uh, it looked kind of doubtful for a while, I guess, because we just weren't sure. And then also, if I recall correctly, um, which I think I do, because because that was quite a memorable series for for reasons beyond this over under. But it took him a while to hit that home run in Toronto before he was finally able to do it with Roger Maris Jr. and his mom in the stands. And so I, I had not I was not aware at the time that I was watching that that there were many layers of uh, of stakes involved. Well Arden, uh, I, I gotta imagine Aaron Judge, public enemy number one in the Swelling household now. <laughs> yeah, I was on the radio call when that happened, which was uh pretty cool getting to kind of be a part of that and and just watching that ball fly, honestly, like just watching history being made i i you know preseason, i was kind of betting on vaccination status mm. uh but i i you know in hindsight and hindsight's always 2020 i think about the amount of pay he would have forfeited by not um being you know going to toronto x amount of times and then also just the opportunity to you know put up the season that he did going into free agency it kind of makes sense now that he ultimately made the decision that he did to get vaccinated against COVID-19 good for him for doing that and good for him for having like the walk year of all walk years it was what seven years 213 million dollars that the Yankees offered him prior to the season in terms of an extension uh he's gonna beat that by like 75 80 90 maybe even 100 million dollars 
it's obviously the the pandemic stuff is serious but if we want to be a little jokier about it or less serious it is funny to play out a scenario where he couldn't come to toronto for that may series um and i believe the june series he would have been able to come in september i think at that point either way the idea that he comes up just short of the record and there are three missed games or six missed games at a hitter's ballpark uh, on his tally for that one. It's interesting. I wonder how Yankees fans would twist themselves uh, around that one. Okay, so that's controversy. We're headed for a controversial finish here. So it's two to two <laughs> right now between Ben and Arden. We've got two props left. I'm going to change the order here for dramatic purposes because you guys agreed on this next one. Although whether you both get credit for it or not or both take an L is there's room for debate. So again, it's worth remembering that you guys did this on April 19th, so we were a little bit into the season. You had set the over-under for average attendance at Rogers Center for the year, regular season only, at 29,999.5. So basically, will they average 30,000? After those initial crowds, though, you guys amended it to 33,333.3. So basically from 30,000 to 33 and change, and you both picked the over. The actual number came in just below 33,000. So it split the middle of where you guys adjusted it to 32,763, the average attendance for the Blue Jays. Uh, Arden, uh, I'll give you the opening argument here. Do you guys lose this one? Do you win it? Is it a kind of a draw since you adjusted the line, but just a little too far? How do you feel about that one? I think we lose because we adjusted the line and yeah. and yeah, we both picked the wrong, <laughs> the wrong side of it. Uh, I, I'm trying to remember what those early games were that made us so confident that it, I, that it was going to be over that. Did the Blue Jays have just insane crowds to start the year? Uh, I don't know. Maybe everyone was just feeling the buzz of baseball being back and, and what that looked like and, and felt like. They did that opening Texas series. They did 45, 44, and 32 uh. And then you guys did that podcast right after an Oakland series, although that was a weekend Oakland series where they did 35, 32, 27. Wow. I don't know if that would have had me super optimistic. I, I can see how that would have created some optimism because those are pretty decent crowds for an Oakland series in April. Um, but I agree with Arden. Yeah, we changed it. So we have to go with the final line. So that's a double L. Well, glad you said that, Ben, because that line of thinking plays into our final prop the one that will decide who wins between ben and arden in the 2023 edition so april 19th you guys sit down to do this and at that point jordan romano's sitting on six saves and you guys start kicking around the over under for jordan romano saves that you had originally set at 34.5 and because of his hot start you amended it to 36.5 Jordan Romano finished the season with 36 saves. Oh, wow. <laughs> Arden Zwelling had the under because of the line adjustment. Arden Zwelling gets a, a rare win in the at the letters prop at three to two. He sneaks it out. Arden, congratulations. Wow. It came down to the line adjustment. So, because he, so Romano started the year super hot, right? Like, had yes. a bunch of saves early. So, we adjusted it up. Uh, and I'd like to know what the reasoning was from me. Basically that you, like, I guess when you guys had sat down to do this or Ben sat down to do it, 34 and a half was where it was. But like at that point he had six saves and six appearances 
and it was still the middle of April. So you guys just kind of like, I, I think part of it was 30 from that point forward was a nice round number. Um, but yeah, that's, that's how it played out. Ben, I don't know if you remember it, uh, any more specifically. I do not. Uh, congrats to Arden on the win. I am now looking at the Blue Jays save totals for 2022. You say Kikuchi got a save. Oh, that would have been a three <laughs> inning save. David yes. Phelps got a save. I mean, I, why couldn't Jordan Romano have gotten that one? Ross Stripling got a save bailing Jordan <laughs> Romano out in right. Anaheim. You're telling me that Jordan Romano's arm couldn't have thrown five more pitches that night and given me the win. That is some BS by Ross Stripling to take this away from me. But no, no, I'm just, I'm totally kidding. Um, congrats to Arden on the win. Uh, that is a very fair win and uh yeah that's a close over under but these are meant to be close so let me throw uh, another hypothetical at you what if jordan romano locks down that save in the wild card game that's not an official save in like the the major league stats they they don't count that toward a player's totals but i feel like there would be some room for argument here had romano saved that game too although that's not the blame him for he got put in a ridiculous situation but yeah i wonder how that one would have would you have argued for the win in that case ben i would hope not i i think it's a regular (laughs) season contest so i would hope that it would not be that petty you never know but no i think um you kind of expect going into a season that there are going to be some of these little wrinkles and you know certainly don't expect that jordan romano is going to get every save that was a pretty aggressive over under to put it at 36.5 like i would like to know how many closers in baseball got more saves than that this year like maybe class a did maybe edwin diaz did and i'm guessing that's the full list so that was a very aggressive over under and a lesson in in these things every year that I seem to have forgotten for the 22 edition, but you've always got to be, you know, taking the under pretty regularly. And I think I did not do quite enough of that. Hence the uh, Zwelling Championship belt here for, for this season. <laughs> no asterisks. Classe had uh, 42. Kenley Jansen had 41. Liam Hendricks, 37. And then Jordan Romano was fourth with 36 saves. A pretty, pretty good year for Jordan Romano. Comes in at a 211 uh, ERA for the year as well. Arden, uh, any closing statement? Any uh, like the the coronation of the the new champion here? Uh, yeah, I guess I gotta say thanks to to Jordan Romano for stopping <laughs> at thirty six. Uh, for what? For sort of disappearing mid season when he did for those couple extended stretches, which is a little curious. Um, I that guess was part to... of your explanation, though. Too, by the way, was like, was it? yeah, one one IL stint or one he needs four or five days off, and then suddenly that's in peril. Yeah, that was some good foresight on my part, I suppose. I mean, also the Blue Jays, uh, if I remember correctly, like the first sort of half of the season, they only played tight games. Like they only played one and two run games. And then through July, August or those summer months, all of a sudden it was blowouts in either direction and the Blue Jays just didn't have save opportunities anymore. So I, I guess I have to thank that as well. Yeah, that's uh, you can thank just about anything. So to recap, there were 18 props. Uh, there were eight where both of you got it correct, five where both of you got it incorrect, Uh, and then the five that you differed on. Arden took the under on Blue Jays to hit 300. That was set at one and a half. Ben had the over, so Arden wins that one. Uh, Bobichet wins above replacement, was set at five. Ben took the over. Arden took the under. Um, Gabriel Moreno, games in the major leagues, was set at 29 and a half. Arden had the over. Ben had the under. That one came in just under. Um, Aaron Judge, home runs at Rogers Center, over one and a half hit for Ben Arden had the under and then Jordan Romano saves 36 and a half Arden with the under Jordan Romano coming in at 
36. So Arden goes 11 and 7. Ben goes 10 and 8. Arden, the new champ. Uh, thanks for letting me do this, guys. This was fun. By the way, Jordan Romano, uh, seventh in Blue Jays franchise history and saves already. Holy wow. smokes. That was yeah. fast. <laughs> He's been the closer yeah. for two years. <laughs> yeah, he could pass BJ Ryan and Casey Jansen this coming year, too. I don't know what well, that says, but it's not so much like a uh, like a dirty little secret of of over unders. It's pretty much just everybody knows at this point. If you just take straight unders, you'll win. That's the thing. Yeah. If <laughs> if you take unders across the board, don't even think about what the categories are or where the lines are set. If you just take all unders, I promise you that you will win every year. Um, but the the fun is trying to find those overs and trying to find those those individuals who do exceed expectations. Although it kind of sounds like we didn't have too many of them this year, unfortunately. I think you guys are all right. Well, the Jays as a whole, like they did have some some really good seasons, some very good seasons, and we you know probably didn't give Kirk enough credit or anticipate the kind of year that he had, but or, or Manoa for that matter as well, who were kind of under discussed in this in this podcast. But you know, this was a team that was more very good than great, and they had more very good seasons than great seasons, um, and and one that we never really anticipated in in all of this was Charlie Montoyo being fired, of course. I mean, that's something that never would have even crossed our minds, just given the fact that he had recently been extended, and yet midway through the year, you know, out goes Charlie. Yeah, we didn't have props on some of the more, like, kind of wild variants. When you think about, like you said, like the manager being fired or Ross Stripling having this incredible year or Jose Barrios kind of, like, going into the wilderness for a while. Somehow we didn't have a Kikuchi line in there for some reason i don't know why we didn't because there's a million different ways you could have gone with him we almost sort of avoided some of the like bigger swing individuals on the team yeah it would have been weird though at like obviously there are like 40 guys that you could do over under for and i think you guys the impression i got listening to it back was you wanted to mix uh you know serious and fun and big picture and minutia and prospects and current I thought it was good. It made for a good podcast listen to go back and check it out. Um, one other prop that I was tracking over the course of the year, and it's because I gave it to JD and Ailish on the fan morning show. I like made up a bunch of my own props to throw at them ahead of the J season. And it was one of the more fun things to track. It was Vladimir, what would be higher, Vladimir Guerrero Jr. stolen bases or Blue Jays team triples? Because the Jays just never hit triples, and that's been the case for a while. And we were hearing about Vlad stealing bases. I was pretty close. Vlad stole eight bases. The Jays hit 12 triples. Wow. It's an interesting one. How many of those were Ryan Tapia? At least three. four, I want to say. Oh, three. only three? Yeah, Springer had four. Those are the only guys oh, okay. that have more than one on the team. Huh. I'm trying to think of who else would have hit some triples for the Jays. I guess Bo Lourdes maybe had Gurriel, a Bo Bichette, Teoscar Hernandez, Matt Chapman, Kevin Biggio all had one. Wow. Just fun stats for you. You know, it's... Uh, yeah. By the way, uh, Vlad tied Rymel Tapia in stolen bases. If you were expecting Tapia to also contribute on the base paths, they tied for third on the team in steals. Wow. That's the level of detail and precision that we expect from you, Blake. So thanks. Thanks so much for taking the time to go through all of those. I'm sure it was, you said it was fun. I, I, I'm sure, uh, you know, it was, it was also, um, quite an experience and we definitely appreciate you um, taking the time to walk us through all this. Yeah, no problem. It was uh, it was a lot of fun and uh, who knows, maybe I'll be on to, to officiate the preseason ones this year or something. That way, that way the onus isn't on you, Ben, to create your own over-underlines. 
Well, I was going to say, maybe you can not only officiate them, maybe you can write them. That might be a great yeah. way to avoid some of these, um, some of the challenges in kind of setting the over-unders. So we've done different different ways. We'll see what the future holds once we get to that part of the season, which feels kind of distant now. But um, but yeah, certainly appreciate you taking the time today. No I recommend being cautious about what you're signing yourself up for right now, Blake. Yeah, because uh, there's two people here who will be more than happy to have this off their plates next year but uh, yeah thanks so much for your time uh he's blake murphy he's at blake murphy odc on twitter and obviously you hear him monday to friday from 5 to 7 p.m on the fan 590 with ben ennis on the fan drive time want to thank christian ryan for producing as always over under episodes are one of the heavier lifting episodes so thank you christian for your work on this one and throughout the entire season for ben nixon smith i'm arden swelling thank you all so much for listening talk to you next time on at the letters.